Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Laura Burhenny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And I'm Kim Reinhardt with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. Thank you for joining us. Yes, and you have a subject today. I do. We're talking about confidence issues. Ah, yes. Not not your lack of confidence, because <laughs> we all know that Kim is seriously, seriously lacking in confidence. Yes. She has she no is. confidence whatsoever. Any of you have heard, you know, I, I do the most of the talking, and she sits back and goes, yeah, if you say so, Laura. Oh, there's a little bit of edginess to this. Girlfriend needs a little caffeine because I think she might be picking on me. You want but me to anyway. have more caffeine? <laughs> but anyway, we do want to talk about confidence issues. Right. And I think you had a scenario that you wanted to I do because, you know, a lot of times people automatically look at growling, for instance, growling as aggression. And it can be a form of aggression, but it's just a warning. It's a general, it's a general, I'm not comfortable with this situation. And whether that's, I don't like you, and if you continue coming towards me, I'm going to bite, versus I'm really uncomfortable with this, and growling is the only way I have to let you know that I'm not comfortable with this, and I would prefer it if you went away. Mm -hmm. And so we want to talk about ways to build confidence. Good subject. I'm going to say, even though I think you knocked me on this one, but no, but that is a good subject, and I, I agree with you. I think that a lot of times people identify that as the dog being aggressive, which it can be. Mm, oh, yeah. Growling can definitely be a sign yes. of aggression, but a lot of times it can just be a dog desperate to get themselves out of the situation mm-hmm. they're in and not knowing what else to do. But I was just going to say, you know, a lot of times it, it happens with dogs who are who have not been around a lot, who have not been out in the world who are un, under or unsocialized and don't have a lot of skills to know to fall back on to be able to deal with life. I agree. And I think sometimes socialization is an overused term. I think that there can be dogs that are, well, first of all, I get calls all the time for people who have four-year-old dogs that they want to socialize. And I think that they need to understand that socialization is something that happens in a dog's life very early and that there's a period of time. And once you pass that window. Basically, socialization is not necessarily the term that we would use at that point. We would talk about building confidence and giving the dog experience. Right, because socialization is not the same as experience. Socialization is not the same as building confidence. Right. Because you can have a dog that has been out and about to 20,000 different places, but it doesn't mean that it's confident in those situations and it still doesn't know how to deal with certain situations. And you can have a dog that people think that they have socialized because they've had it around children, their children, their other dogs, their house. They've had people into their house, but take that dog into a situation that he's unfamiliar with, and he becomes extremely unconfident, and that's lack of experience. Yes. He's all of his socialization, quote, socialization, Mm -hmm. was under a set set of circumstances, and so you take him out of that set set of circumstances, and suddenly he doesn't have a clue how to handle the situation. Right. Because because he's not necessarily under-socialized. He's under-experienced. Right. And there is a big difference between being socialized and building up confidence. And can I just say, I'm really glad that you started this one because that is something that I hear all the time from people. I get calls from people who say, I want to socialize my dog. Mm -hmm. And I think that they don't realize, no, what you want to do is broaden your dog's experience level. Right. And build your dog's confidence so that he has tools to deal with your experience, 
with the experiences, new experiences that present themselves. Yeah, because you can take your dog everywhere, but if he doesn't have the basic obedience stuff, then he still has no way to deal with a situation. Okay, so I've been in this situation, I've been in that situation, and I've been in this situation, but then what happens if something out of the ordinary happens in that situation that he's never experienced before? Mm -hmm. Right? He doesn't know how to deal with it. But if you have some basic skills on your dog that you can help him get out of it. Right. And the reason that we teach basic obedience as a tool for helping to build a dog's confidence is because we give the dog something that he can do that he can guarantee a particular outcome. Mm -hmm. And that's why it helps his confidence. Because if a dog is in a situation where he is uncomfortable marginally uncomfortable. Let's not take a dog that's wildly panicking, okay, yeah. because that's a whole different thing. But let's take a dog that is in a cer- set of circumstances where he's not terribly confident, where he's not feeling that comfortable, and we can ask him to do something that we've taught him, maybe a sit or a down or a touch or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we've done, that we've taught him, that he's, we've taught him to do it very well. So he's very confident. Oh, I know when I do that behavior that you're going to reward me and that causes a good dog. Right. It creates a situation where he it's like what I call a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a get-out-of-anxiety-free card. It's, mm-hmm. listen, I'm feeling really anxiety-ridden because I'm not sure what to do here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then you cue me to something that's very familiar to me, mm-hmm. and I and I think to myself, hey, I know how to do that. Right. And I do it, and I know that this is going to guarantee a good outcome. Right. right. And not only that, but it re-engages the dog with you, whereas before the dog is totally engaged with whatever it is that's freaking him out. Mm-hmm. So quite often for those things you mentioned, touch I'll do I'll do either touch or a shake right mm-hmm. except I don't I don't just do go shake right I go give me five because it's more it's more um active you know and it's animated more animated yeah. thank you that's the word I was I knew it was an a word <laughs> um it's more animated and I find that also when we do tricks uh-huh. we get a smile on our face we get more animated so mm-hmm. then so then it's more reinforcing for the dog it's not just about the food I mean we can give them the same piece of food for a sit but we don't we don't act the same right frequently when i am working with people and i'm having them train their dogs i will have them use certain words not because those words have significance to the dog but because they have significance to the person and we tend to because we're very verbal we tend to follow our enthusiasm or our mood will follow the word yes. so if i'm using a, a facial word, expression will right so if i'm using a happy word it's very difficult for me to say happy right it's happy yeah. right? right because it sounds good so it's the same thing mm-hmm. and i will do i'll do the same thing i'll use an animated term just a term mm-hmm. that has a positive association for the people but i think that people don't really understand how powerful that tool is mm-hmm. it's a very powerful tool and when you have an underconfident dog for me mm-hmm. that's one of the first things i work on teach right. the dog some things that he has in his toolbox that he says i can do this i know this Usually, that lack of confidence comes from lack of experience Mm -hmm. or lack of knowledge. I don't know what to do here. Mm -hmm. And the person is is not helping them at all, doesn't know how to help them out of it. And so they're going, I don't know what to do here. I'm growling. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do here. And the person isn't helping them. They aren't giving them any feedback. They aren't saying, here, let me help you out of this situation. Let me show you what to do. Or they do what they believe is going to help them, and they say, it's okay. It's okay. They whine at Which the dog. Which doesn't sound so okay. So the dog is it growling, sounds, and the person yes. is whining. It sounds like very anxiety-ridden behavior. And to a certain extent, when you're saying to someone, it's okay. 
okay. It's okay. Your anxiety is building. Mm-hmm. You actually, there's a reason that it sounds like the that. The dog is hearing stress in your voice. It, yes, because that's what's happening in your body. Because yeah. that's what you're, so sometimes it's as powerful a tool for the client, for the person, for the handler, as it is for the dog. Mm-hmm. Because my dog is in this situation. He doesn't know what to do. I'm going to start feeding him some some directives, right? Some yeah. things that he knows how to do confident. We've practiced this. We have this very beautiful, well-oiled machine going on. We have this, you know, this choreographed dance that we do together. And we, I know my part and he knows his part. So I start giving him sit down, give me five, whatever it is that I do mm-hmm. that is going to be these things that I, he knows how to respond to. And yeah. I know also, yeah, it's easy for me to take the lead. Mm-hmm. Using those directives because I feel a level level of confidence. We've practiced this. Yes. And I know what I'm going to do when the dog responds. Yes. And the dog knows what you're going to do too. Yes. And I know, like, I've been working with a really fearful dog who was from a rescue organization. And, I mean, really, really, really fearful dog. Completely unsocialized and very anxiety-ridden. And we've gotten her to the point now where I think that she can go into an agility class. And I would love for this dog to get into an agility class. That's what I've been working towards because it will turn this dog's life around. Mm -hmm. Because once this dog starts to go, I can do this. Mm -hmm. There's something else in my world that I can do that I'm good at. Because right now she doesn't think she's, I mean, this dog is so frightened she won't go into a room where there's a a ceiling fan. Mm -hmm. Even if the ceiling fan isn't moving, Mm -hmm. she won't go in there. She crawls on her belly and, you know, looks up and shakes and does all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is probably maybe a little bit been reinforced it, it somewhere. Probably has, it. yes, it probably has been, but I mean, she's four years but in old the and end, who, knows, who knows what her yeah, history is. In the end, we can't erase the history. Exactly. All we can do is move forward. Yeah, and so we can't continue to, to reinforce that behavior. And, and I, but by the way, I just threw that reinforcement part in because I know that there are people who would look at that and go, she's obviously been abused by a ceiling fan or something. But a lot of times when flew off of its <laughs> off of its its thing up there and went flying across the room. And you know we're laughing, but this is yeah. not as absurd as we're making it out to be. People have these ideas, they have these misconceptions about dogs that are must have been beaten with a broom because when I pulled out the broom that are underconfident. Exactly, they they have a feeling that. You you know, every time a dog shows a lack of confidence or even a fear response to something, obviously it was attached to a trauma. Maybe it was, but very often it wasn't. Very often it was the dog responded to it because they got a fright at one point from this item, whatever it is. And maybe they got a fright just because it came out unexpectedly. Yeah. And somebody reinforced that behavior. Right. Or and maybe they got a fright that was something else, like a loud noise, and they the saw time. the ceiling fan at the same time. And they made that association, right. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that is traumatic to them. So that's an aside. I just wanted to throw that out there because I think it's one of, you know, we could really do about 12 of these about fear and yes. underconfidence. Honestly, it's a very misunderstood issue. But the point is, if you have a dog that has a lack of confidence, first of all, socialization is a different thing. Yes. It's a different thing. Maybe we'll do something about socialization. But yeah. it, in, in the end, that's something that you do with puppies. Yes. Socialization. And you only have basically up until the dog is 15 weeks old. Is called After 15 weeks old, it's not called really socialization right. anymore. That's the socialization period. But what you can do is give the dog experiences and give him confidence-building exercises in 
relation to new experiences mm-hmm. so that he starts to feel, uh, or he or she starts to feel, oh, I've got this. Right. I get it. Right. I know what to and do. even things unrelated, like I said, agility. If, she, if this dog starts doing agility, it will increase her confidence level in other areas of her life, yes. not around the agility equipment. The same thing with herding. I mean, my dog Sherman was a pretty confident dog. But once I started taking him herding, it was like, you know, there was a whole new aspect to him that came out, even when he wasn't around the sheep. Right. I think that that had less to do with confidence building than it just had to do with he loved it and it was really fun for him. Well, he but did, but it changed his life around the rest dog. of Oh, yeah, he was a very confident, confident dog. dog. But but I get your point, and, I, and it was very dear to watch him. Very dear. I miss him. Anyway. I do, too. I know. We're not going to go there. <laughs> I know. So, anyway... The point is, though, I agree with you. I think agility is magical, and and I have a very good friend. We have a very good friend who teaches agility, and I love to go down there and watch a dog that has shown up and is a really underconfident dog. Mm -hmm. And I love to watch the transformation that happens. And it's not instant. No, it's not. But you see this slow building of the dog going, you know what, I can do this. I can do this, and I know what the outcome is going to be. I'm going to do this thing. And then it's going to be all wonderful at the end of it. I know mm-hmm. how to succeed. Yeah. In the end, that's what it's about. It's it's empowering them. Right. Listen. It's giving them skills, different skills to deal with things. It's like, well, before, the only way I could deal with a fearful situation or an anxiety situation was to growl. Now I have all these other options. I have all these other skills to pull from. So what do I know that can help me out of this situation? One of my staffy bulls, June, I don't know if you ever met June. No, I didn't. June went to live with Terry after my dogs got sick. But one of my staffy bulls, when she was very young, she had a real confidence issue from the time that she was a baby. I mean, I saw the litter when they were babies. I took two of the dogs from that litter. One of them was named Beetle and one was named June Bug because all of my my staffy bulls are after bugs. But anyway, um, and Junie, Beetle was this very confident little dog. Boy, nothing got him. And Junie from the And we won't talk about, you know, taking two litter mates from a, because we did do that podcast on, on. Oh, I said it's very inadvisable. Yes. Yes. However, I did. She did cover that, but I want to, if you didn't hear that podcast, go back and listen to it. And you you do hear Kim talk about how you don't get two puppies It's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. But trust me, I put in a ton of work. It takes extra work. That's the thing about it. It takes a lot of work. But. When they were young, he was this confident little thing from the time they were little. They were just getting up on their legs, and he was this confident little thing. He was going to take over the world. And she was very fearful and and very underconfident. And even as a very tiny puppy, she was the one who would go look for a space to hide in. You know, she was the the one who would go find a, a place to burrow. And so... We worked on them in the actual socialization period, right? right? I took these these dogs, and initially, by the way, I didn't take them because I was going to take them. I took them to help with some problems, and then it was a big convoluted story. But anyway, so I took these dogs. We'll have to discuss that sometime. (laughs) The whole podcast on on Kim's long involved story. (laughs) But then June got to the place where she was really not confident about going up to people. And so what she wanted to do as a behavior was slink backwards. Mm-hmm. And so what I taught her to do was I discouraged the slinking backwards, mm-hmm. and, and I taught her to go forward. Well, when she would go forward, she, trying to find her way through this, decided she would drop down on her belly. She would frog out, you know, with yeah. her little legs behind her, and put her fa- head way up high in the air and lick the air, and that was her way of saying hello. 
Well, of course, most people responded to this very positively right. because they were really, and she it was really cute. Yes, and she was a dog that got socialization at a young age, so she was a dog that had been taught some of those skills during the socialization period. Anyway, this became her way of coping, and it was charming, and it, I of course reinforced it like crazy, mm-hmm. and so did other people. They just did because it was cute to look at. But she developed that as a skill. If she hadn't developed that as a skill, I probably would have gone to teaching her some obedience behaviors. Right. This was one that had developed naturally from her. This is something that she had come up with. But in the absence of that, and why most dogs growl, is not because it's a good idea. Because it doesn't, they're afraid. So what it does is it gets somebody to move away from them. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah, because growling is to off. increase distance. The truth is, if they learn how to bring positive attention their way, that's part of the confidence-building skills, Mm -hmm. you can really get them past that place where they feel really underconfident with time Mm -hmm. and with a lot of work. But that's why you start with the obedience behaviors. Yeah, because a lot of times what you do, because I don't really want a really fearful dog going up to somebody that they're obviously not comfortable with. So a lot of times what I'll do is is I'll have the owner do something like give me five, and then the owner, you know, in the presence of... Of the person, of course, mm-hmm. teach it someplace else. But then whenever they see somebody that the dog looks like they might be a little concerned about, then you go, oh, give me five. And then so the person gives them, and the dog gives their owner five, and then the owner pays. And then I transfer that to the dog giving the person five, but still the owner paying. Mm-hmm. And then transfer it to then the person giving them, f- having them, the person saying, give me five, and then the person paying. You just had to fight your way through that one. I did, boy. (laughs) Well, the other thing, the other reason that I think one of the elements of that that helps that to be successful is, especially in that particular behavior pattern, you have them give you five. Whoever's watching Mm -hmm. can't help but have a positive reaction. And that's helpful. It brings everybody to a positive place. Right. The dog doesn't have to deal closely with them. Yes. Right? Because you tell the stranger, the person, okay, keep your distance. This is not when you move in. Right. So they get to get comfortable in that situation, but in a very positive flow of energy. Mm -hmm. So... It's a a transference. Yes. And so the dog's going, okay, well, I can do this with the person here. And then I can actually give the person five, but mom is still the one paying me. Right. And since the dog is really focused on the food, then then they go, okay, well, I can touch you, but still I'm getting the food over here. And then when the dog is obviously more comfortable doing that, then they're going to start to look at the person more, and then the person can actually pay them. And then, not only that, but then the dog goes, oh, you know this trick too? Right. Cool. We can do this together. We have something to we have something us. in common, yes. right. So, right. so oh, you know the rules too. Great. As right. long as you know the rules. Because I think a lot of times to fearful dogs is that they they are in their house and they know their family and everything is predictable. And anything outside of their house and their family is unpredictable. It's and ex- the more predictable you can make it so that once the stranger knows, give me five, oh, you know that too? Oh, we're right. instant buddies. Right. We're instant pals. Because you obviously read the book as well. Right. I think a lot of it has to do with what are my experiences? What experiences have I had? What is it that I can do that is familiar to me? I agree with you. And so anything that you can give them that's familiar, that makes them feel good, because they know what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. The only, by the way, difficult part about this is that occasionally you have the stranger who feels so... um, enamored with this yeah. behavior that they instantly think they could push into the dog's face. Right, that now we're instantly friends with the dog and I can pet the dog on top of the head or hug them or be 
too familiar with the dog. Even if the dog some, does something cute, that brings out their response. And a lot of people don't understand that when you have a dog that's not confident, the thing that you need to do is not pressure them. Yeah, Don't back push off. into them. Don't push into their space. So if you have a situation like that, I'm just going to throw this out there because anybody who yeah. listens to this that might try this, they need to be aware because this could this could really cause a problem. Yeah. So if you're going to do something like this and you're in a situation where you've got somebody watching and you have the dog do a trick, make sure that you let the dog know that I just do this to help him build confidence. He's really uncomfortable about you, so please don't push in on yeah. him. You actually have to let other people know right. that this is something that you're doing. And this doesn't mean that now you can behave with my dog as you would with your own dog or how I behave with my dog. Right. Because right. One and of that's the a related th- point. Yeah. One of the things that happens when you do a trick in front of other people is they make a big, oh, that's so cute. Oh. And then they try to for the dog happy hand a, the dog. Yeah. And for the dog, that can be a lot of pressure. Even just having them get very loud looking at the dog, even if it's enthusiasm and positive, mm-hmm. can be too much pressure for your dog. So if you know that that's possibly going to happen, what I've done in the past is have the dog do the trick the person says yay I say yay and move away from the person yes yay! you relieve the pressure right and right. I, I'm relieving the pressure I'm staying positive we aren't running away I mm-hmm. just make it part of the behavior but it helps me put some right distance. and the moving away is part of the reinforcement that's right and not only that but if you don't tell the person ahead of time look I'm going to have you he's going to give you five, I'm going to pay him a couple of times, we're going to do this a few times, and then he's going to give you five, you're going to pay him a couple of times, and then we're going to stop. Because the thing is, is that if then the stranger starts to happy hand the dog, meaning like really rough push hands around, space. Yeah, push into yeah. a space, that kind of stuff, then that makes the dog not trust you. Not trust you, his his owner, because because then the dog goes, well, you just put me in that position, and now this person was too familiar with me and scared me and now the next time you have me do it I'm not so sure I'm going to want to well not only does it have I think not only does it have them does it encourage them not to trust you it encourages them to no longer feel like that's a safe behavior right we built that as a safe haven for them mm-hmm. we built that behavior as a way for them it's the get out of stress free card yeah. right so if we allow that to then take on a life of its own and spin in its own direction yeah. before the dog is ready for it suddenly that behavior becomes no no safe haven. Yeah. Okay, that is not such a safe behavior. Yeah, because the was. last time it happened, this horrible thing, and the last the, time I did it. Right. And now this new not predictable thing has happened. Yes. So now maybe this isn't as safe as I thought it was. Yeah. So it's really important that when you're using this technique that you work on it as a training technique in the right set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. This is one of those situations you don't want to take it out on the town before it's ready for yeah. it. You don't want to take it out. and But you can use it. You just have to use it strategically. If I was walking a dog that wasn't very confident and we were faced in a situation where we got in close contact with somebody that I knew the dog was uncomfortable with, but I hadn't had the chance to really prime them and let them know not to do that, yeah. I would do the behavior quickly, then move away as quick as I could, mm-hmm. and then perhaps address them with, oh, isn't that great? He, he, he's nervous about you, so that's why I'm working him. He, yeah. needs to, you know, he needs to keep a certain amount of distance. It's important to do these things because I've seen people do these things, unfortunately, um, too quickly. Yes. And they push the dog and they think the dog is, oh, now he's fine. And they actually poison the behavior. Yes. They actually poison the trick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, was that about it? Um, some more. I'm sure I'll think of something else later, but I think that's about it. If she does, she'll phone each and every one of you. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Not. 
But um, anyway, I mean, I just wanted to to make sure that we got across how how basic obedience stuff will help build a dog's confidence, and that under socialization is not the same thing as as training, confidence building, confidence yeah. building. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. And not just basic obedience, any kind of dog uh, sport or skill. Yes. Anything where Tr- the dog tricks. can build his skill. Oh, tricks are fabulous. Tricks are fabulous. Yeah. My first dog was, was a very fearful dog. And especially after I started getting him into agility, I mean, he was, a, he was a totally different dog. This dog who was so afraid of people who would walk between my legs when I took him out for a walk if there was anybody within sight. Because, he, God forbid, he should be close to, you know, somebody. Mm-hmm. But he would run and around an agility ring just fine, even with a judge standing right there, and you know, and walk through the crowd just fine. And agility shows are not usually no. one or two people things. Yeah, they're usually quite, quite yeah. filled. And he was older when I got him into agility too. Mm-hmm. But he was just, oh, I can do this. And mm-hmm. not only that, but when I first got him, I started teaching him tricks. This dog who had spent a year in a kennel. Yeah. From the day he was from basically from the time he was a puppy into into slightly over a year. Yeah. He stayed in a kennel and totally unsocialized. So that's why a lot of times a group class, ah, you know what? I'm glad you kept talking. That's why a lot of times taking a dog to a group class, the right group class, they aren't all created equal. But that's why sometimes taking a dog into a group class can help them with confidence. Mm-hmm. It's not just the fact that they get socialized. See, that's another one of those things that people think. Well, yes. I'm in a group of people, therefore the dog gets socialized. No, you're in a group of people, but you're working the dog in a fashion where you're teaching the dog how to, to create. Function. Well, and not only that, how to create an outcome. Yes. Look, I tell you to sit, you sit, there's a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. You now have the power to say, look, I can create this outcome. Mm-hmm. So, and and that doing that in that group of people is helpful. Yes, but it's not just the presence of a group of people. And I think that's my problem with this situation is a lot of times people imagine socialization as just being out around things, and there is a difference between that and building a dog's confidence, which is what you have to do after a certain age. Okay. So I am Kim Reinhardt with Ain't Misbehaving Canine, and I have a confidence issue. <laughs> and this is Laura Berheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited, and I do not. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Bye. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.